welcome to the International Evangelical Church. Uh, we are in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we are looking at the story of Jesus. Our desire is always to master our master. That is our purpose. And become the kind of person he wants us to be. And we want to follow him, obey his commands, and also make other disciples. That's what we are here at IEC. We always tell you our mission statement, right? What's our mission statement? To make disciples of the nations for the glory of God. That's why we're always repeating so that it stays with us. It stuck with us. Every time we come back to our master, we want to study his life, his mission, his purpose, his love, and his sacrifice so that we are firmly established on him. So we are in the section of Matthew, where we are looking at the power of the king. If you remember Matthew, at the beginning we looked at the person of the king, chapter 1 and 2, uh, where Jesus' Jesus' genealogy were listed. Again, we also looked at the uh, presentation of the king, where Jesus was presented, where Jesus was uh, baptized and tempted. We've also looked at the preaching of the king, where Jesus preached on Sermon on the Mount, that's from chapters 5 to chapter 7. Now we are in the section of Matthew where we're looking at the power of the king. And a few weeks ago, we looked at the first miracle Jesus demonstrated, that's the, uh, the, the leper, the healing of the leper, if you remember that story. So the leper came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, if you will, you will make me clean. So Jesus stretched out his hand, touched the man, and said, I will, and be clean. And the leprosy immediately held, uh, left him. He was healed. So that was the first demonstration of power that Jesus displayed in the Gospel of Matthew. Again, you also remember a few weeks ago that the centurion also came to Jesus with a request. He appealed to him. My servant is lying sick at home. He's feeling terrible. He's in bad shape. And Jesus said, okay, go. I will come and heal him. But Centurion replied, Lord, I am an, a man of unworthy. You can't come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus was so surprised by the face of the Centurion. And he said, go. And the man will be healed. And immediately he was healed. And we know that Jesus performed so many miraculous signs and healings. So those who were demon-possessed, those who were sick, everyone who came to Jesus received their healing. Amen? Everyone who came to Jesus received their healing. So now we are in the next section, in the next group of miracles. One is the power over nature. Jesus is going to display his power over nature. He's going to display his power over demons. And is going to display his power over sea. So Jesus, he doesn't do just these miracles for the sake of doing them. So all of Jesus' miracles play a huge role in his earthly ministry. They attest to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. That is the purpose. That's why Jesus is doing all of these miracles. That he's showing to, to the people that he is indeed the Messiah. So today we're just going to look only at the first miracle. That's power over nature. So the key questions that we are going to ask is, do we really know whom we are following? Are we firmly established 
on who Jesus is. And also when we are faced challenges, difficulties, things that are beyond our circumstances, when we are caught in the storm of life, when things do not go according to our plan, when tragedy strikes, when negative things happen, where do we turn? Who is our rescue? Where do we go to? So in the midst of all of these things, how do we endure them? How do we pass over them? So in the passage, we are about to look. The disciples who are following Jesus are in for a huge shock. They have seen Jesus heal many, do the impossible. They have seen him heal, touch, and just say the words. They have like a front view of Jesus' miraculous events. Imagine for a moment if you are a disciple of Jesus. You are sitting next to Jesus. All of the people are coming to Jesus. The leper, the sick, the demon possessed. And Jesus sometimes touches them. He just says the word. They are all healed. I just want to be there. You know, just see all of those things happening immediately. All of, all of them receive their healing. The disciples were so surprised. They were saying, like, it is good to be with Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, nothing will happen to you. Everything is good and perfect. There's not going to be any problem. All our problems are solved. They haven't seen any challenge. They haven't seen any difficulty. They haven't encountered anything. So the disciples may have been, also if you remember last week, they may have been even surprised to see Jesus turn away potential disciples. You remember the scribe came to Jesus. He said, teacher. I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus told him, he said, Foxes and birds have places to rest, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he told him, like, what is the cost of following Jesus? You will have to give up your, your place, your status to follow me. Following Jesus costs. It, it comes with a cost. And as the disciples say, Lord, let me go first bury my father, and then I'll come and follow you. And Jesus rebuked him. He said, you know, let the dead bury their own dead. So disciples did not realize the urgency, the priority of following Jesus. We don't follow Jesus when everything is rosy, when everything is convenient. Following Jesus is now. It, does, it can't wait. It is urgent. It has supremacy. Now this is where the disciples are. They have seen Jesus turn away the potential disciples. Everything was going great. And Jesus said, let us go cross over to the other side. This is where we pick up our story for this morning. So let's all stand together for the reading of God's word. Our text for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 8 verses 23 up to 27. And it reads, and when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? 
This is the word of God for the people of God, all of God's people say it. Praise be to God. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for your word that is good, that is living, and that is active, Lord. Thank you that you have given us your word. We ask that you would teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and train us so that we may be righteous, so that we may be complete and equipped for every good work. Amen. So the key question we are going to ask in this passage is, what sort of man is this? What sort of man is Jesus? The disciples that were following Jesus, they were amazed at what Jesus said and at what Jesus said. They are still trying to figure him out. In the gospel, Jesus did not reveal himself immediately. He was revealing himself progressively and privately to his disciples. But still, they did not fully grasp who Jesus is. So our question, our text for this morning is, what sort of man is Jesus? So our point, our first point is, he is the man we follow. So Jesus has been meaning to cross over. He's been doing all of these things by the sea, and he's been meaning to cross over, go to the other side. But he got busy. People were coming at him, and he, was, he had compassion for them. He was healing them. He was touching them. But he wanted to cross over. In verse 18, Jesus, when he saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the, to the other side. When Jesus said, I want to cross the other side, mostly he means he wants to go to the Gentile territory, to Gentile lands. The other side refers to Gentile lands, and he wants to take his disciples there also. Remember, when Jesus was not really interested in popularity. When there, there are crowds, oftentimes Jesus shuns the crowds. He, he wants to spend most of his time with a few, with his disciples. You know, it's us, you know, I, I love to see crowds. You know, I don't want to see empty seats here and there. You know, if this is packed and everything, it would be great. But, but for Jesus, he even trying to get away from crowds and be with his father and be with, with his disciples. You know, as expected, a good disciple, his disciples followed him. So following Jesus is synonymous with discipleship. It is what the disciple does. We, we follow Jesus. So Jesus demands and expects that his disciples follow him. You remember earlier in, in Matthew 4, Jesus said to Peter and his brother, Andrew, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That is a good, that's a job of a good disciple. It's to follow the master. Wherever he goes, they observe and learn from him and put those things into practice. Now they are on both. On the Sea of Galilee. So personally, I don't like seas. I don't, I don't know, maybe. I only like water to drink and maybe clean. But not more. I don't like boats. I don't like sea. I, I'm afraid. Maybe I am afraid. <laughs> and I've heard that the Jewish people are, they too are afraid of boats. You know, they, see, they are afraid of the seas. They are not people of the sea. They are people of the land. They try to stay away from the, uh, from the sea. So they want to be on the land. But now they are, they are about to cross the Sea of Galilee. So this is not a big sea as you would imagine. This is a small lake. It's, it's a freshwater lake. And it's, not, it's, it's a below sea level. But this sea is known for sudden bursts of storms. So they know that this, there is this potential for the storm. 
But now they step into the boat. They have to follow the master. Jesus said, follow me. Now he's in the boat, and they follow him on the boat too. So according to Mark, it's evening. It's on the evening, they are on the boat. So everything must have been calm and peaceful. I don't know, I'm just trying to imagine here. They may be staring at the stars, gazing at the stars, and talking about the day's event. You remember how Jesus healed him, how he touched him, how those miracles were happening. So this is, imagine, this is a small boat. It's not a big boat. Like maybe it can hold about 12 to 15 people. I think they're kind of crammed in that space. But they are just enjoying and flowing with Jesus. And some of them may be resting. And, and we're told that Jesus was sleeping at the back under a cushion. So they were safe and secure with the master. They thought everything is good. They have nothing to worry about. It's good to be with Jesus. And behold, suddenly, there arose a great storm on the sea. You know, things happen suddenly, out of the blue, unexpectedly. That's how tragedy strikes, you know, when, when, when we least expected it. It just happens. Then to behold, this storm arose. And a storm in the scripture refers to an adverse set of circumstances. It's not a good thing. When the Bible speaks of a storm, the writer is always talking about, mostly about negative things. So a storm connects trouble, uh, tribulation, tasting. So a storm knocks us out, knocks us over. You know, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. But also storm reveals our inner self too. The true color of our character are revealed. Not on when, how we act when everything was peaceful and quiet, but rather how we act when things are not going according to our plan. When, things are, when we are in a season of challenge, when things are not going very well. I imagine the disciples would not have gone into the boat had they known that they would encounter this huge storm. So out of nowhere, everything was quiet and serene. Imagine out of nowhere, this great storm came on the sea. This is no ordinary storm. I have never seen a storm in my life. Maybe I have seen it on movies, but I don't. I have never seen a storm. I can only imagine what kind of storm it must have been. So this is not a regular storm that they can manage with their own expertise. So the boat began to swing, water began to flood, and I'm sure they must have used their, their buckets. So the disciples, they must have tried everything. So they, now the situation got hopeless and impossible. So they were faced with a situation that is beyond them. So what sort of man is Jesus? He's the man we cry out. He's the man we pray to. So there are many ways we can act when we are faced with impossible situations, with negative circumstances. How do we act when you are faced with impossible situations? You may curse, you may lament, you, you may try to blame it on others. In our culture, we have what we call this yarba uh, kanadil, or esamania kanadil, you know. This is my luck, this is my 40-day luck, or my 80-day luck. I can't change this circumstance, it's beyond me. 
or do we earnestly seek God's face in the midst of our challenges? So look to Jesus and cry out to him in our time of distress, in our time of testing. So as the situation got worse, the disciples began to look for Jesus. So where is this guy that we were following? Why isn't he helping us out? We need extra set of hands. This is a situation where all hands are on the deck. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Jesus was asleep. How could he sleep under a huge storm on a simple boat? Jesus must have been exhausted from the day's events, I suspect, because he's been working the whole day. He's been dealing with people. He was so busy casting out demons and healing those who came to him. So as much as Jesus was fully man, he was, as much as Jesus was fully God, he was also fully man. So he needed to rest and sleep just like us at the end of a busy day. He just wants to lie down. But he can also sleep under this severe storm because he's fully secure and fully trusts his father. So Jesus was sleeping and resting while his disciples are battling it out to stay or pass through this storm. So finally, they woke him up. They went and woke him up. I suspect, you know, they must have tried so many things. These, at least four of them, we know that four of them are fishermen. Peter, Andrew, Jane, John, and James are fishermen. They must have some expertise. So they must have tried, you know, do this, sail through this. There is this way, go that way. But this storm that they're battling is unlike anything they have seen. This is an earthquake kind of storm. This is a violent storm. And in that, Jesus was sleeping. You may also remember who sleep in the Old Testament during a storm. You remember Jonah. Jonah was also sleeping under a storm. You know, when Jonah was told by God to go and tell the people of Nineveh, he ran away from God, he went on a ship, and as they were sailing through a violent storm, the Lord sent a violent storm, and the sailors were trying to sail through, but they couldn't. And they found also Jonah sleeping in the inner part of the ship. Jonah was running away. Jonah was hiding from God. But Jesus was obedient to the Father. He's obedient even to David on a cross. They had to throw Jonah out of the ship to calm the sea. But Jesus only needed to say the word to tame the storm. So when you are faced with impossible, difficult situations, what do you do? Where do you turn? Who will come to your rescue? Will you try to buy yourself out? What do you do when you are under this kind of circumstance? If you are faced with this violent storm, there is nothing you can do. I suspect most of us are not facing a literal storm but maybe we are going through a storm of our lives. You may be faced with an impossible situation, medically, economically, socially. Our marriage may be in, in terrible shape, or economically we are suffering, we are out of job, we are looking for a job, the, the economy doesn't look great, 
the global outlook is, it doesn't give us much hope. So what do we do in these circumstances? Where do we turn? As a church, we want to make everyone a disciple, for that is our passion and mission. We want to see everyone. We want to make everyone, at least some of you, a disciple, because that's what we are always saying. We want to make a disciple of Jesus, because that's the commission we were given. So how do we sufficiently care, protect, and shape those who are here? How do we keep the saints for works of ministry? How do we do that? As pastors, elders, and teachers, and, and leaders of this church, that's our passion. But sometimes we feel overwhelmed. How do we do that? How do we do a good job of that? We always question. We always struggle. And also, as a church, we are faced with an impossible task here. You know, we have a river by this side. Sometimes it gives us bad smell, you know. <laughs> Uh, if you come in the morning, yeah, it, it gives us bad smell. But we're not only suffering from bad smell, but the river is washing away our land. It has already washed away our retaining wall. It has washed away our land. And now we are faced with a difficult situation. So we have a team, what we call facilities development team. They have been studying you know, what to do and how to mitigate those things. And they came up with a proposal. They say, at least immediately we need 70 million bur, just to do a small build, a concrete wall, and save the land. And we are wondering, you know, where do we get this money? How do we raise the money to do these projects? And how do we continue to keep this place so that we can continue to minister, we can continue to do Jesus' mission in this place? You know, you may be sitting nicely, but we are, as leaders, we are wondering, we're pondering what to do, where do to turn. So we always question, when we follow Jesus, we may go through a storm of life. The intensity may vary. The, the challenge may vary. The seasons may vary. But all of us, there are storms. There will be storms. So there is no guarantee that Jesus will always calm the storm. He may allow us. He may choose to allow us to go to pass through the storm. But he promised to be with us that even through going this storm, we will grow and become mature followers of Jesus. So the disciples went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, Lord. We are perishing. Don't you care we are drowning? So they are faced with imminent death. They are seeing themselves now, we are going to drown into the sea, and there is no one to rescue us. We are going down. But the Son of Man came to seek and save those that which are lost. So we cry out, Lord, save us. That's the cry of our heart. When we are faced with the storm, that's one of the things we should do. Seek His face. Cry out to Him. Yes, God cares for us. God loved us. That's what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world, he gave us his, own, his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So we cry out, save us. That's our only hope. So there is no, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
the name that is given to us to escape punishment, to pass from days to life, to receive forgiveness for our sin is the name of Jesus. As disciples, we cry out to him, save us, Lord. Save us, Lord. So Jesus was awake from his sleep. <laughs> Jesus was awake. So Matthew tells us that his first reaction to the raging of the storm was to rebuke the disciples. You know, we would imagine that Jesus would deal with the storm and then deal with the disciples. But even during the storm, during the raging of the storm, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, Why are you afraid? Oh, you little faith. Jesus rebuked their lack of faith. It was not how big or small their faith was. It, the issue is, what is, their, what is the object of their faith? Is their faith on Jesus or on their expertise on other things? Before Jesus calmed the storm in the sea, he wants to calm the storm in our hearts. I heard it say that the problem is the little phase inside of us, not the great storm outside. The problem is the little phase inside of us, not the big or the great storm outside. You may also remember in the story of David and Goliath, when the people of God, when the people of Israel saw Goliath, what, were they, what was their reaction? They were dismayed. They were afraid. But when David saw this giant, this is what he said. This uncircumcised Philistine that defied the armies of God. What do we see? Do we see the great storm or the little face? So fear holds us. Fear captivates us. So our, as our face grows, our fear also gives way to courage. So fear hinders faith. So dangers are real. And being present with Jesus, there is this perfect stillness in the midst of difficulties in the midst of the storm. Paul also tells Timothy in 2 Timothy, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, but of love, and of self-control. David in Psalm 56 says, what, do, what does he do when he's faced with, with life-threatening situations? He said, when I'm afraid, I put my trust on you. So when you are afraid, when you are faced with kind of situation, where do you place your trust? On the famous Psalm, on Psalm 23, David said, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your road and stuff, they comfort me. So David took courage and comfort in the fact that God was with him. Yes, there will be valleys and seasons of challenge and difficulties, but just like God was with David, and Jesus was present with the disciples and also with us. And also in Ephesians 6, when Paul was talking about the full armor of God, he mentions one 
defensive weapon. That is faith. And in verse 16, it says, in all circumstances, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So the enemy wants to plant seeds of doubt in our hearts and in minds to, to hold us, to captivate us. It will hold us from fully experiencing God's grace in our lives. But in the midst of the storm, God is in control. In the midst of the storm, God is in control. So we put our trust on Him. We cry out to Him for deliverance, for courage, for endurance to pass through this storm. The third point is, what sort of man is Jesus? He is the man we obey. And the disciples said, what sort of man is this that even winds and seas obey him? Who is Jesus? So the identity of Jesus is a much debated topic in the churches. Churches are split over him. There's a lot of teaching about Jesus, who Jesus is, what he did, and what, and what he's like. So at IEC, this is what we believe about Jesus. And I believe it's a good thing to study our faith statement. Because that's what unites us as a body. So our faith statement can be found on our website. I want to encourage you to go into our website. Who knows our website? Maybe you can Google it. <laughs> so our website is iecinaddis.org. Go over there. In the About section, our phase statements are listed. It's good to go and sometimes study, look over our statement of faith, because that's one of the things that unites us, joins us together as a body. So this is what it is stated about Jesus Christ. We believe that the Son, who is the Word of the Father, took man's nature of the Virgin Mary so that the two whole and perfect natures, the Godhead and manhood, were joined together in one person, Christ, who is perfect man and perfect God, who suffered, was crucified, died to be a sacrifice, not only for original guilt, but also for the actual sins of man, and was buried and was raised alive to reconcile us to the Father. This is what we believe about Jesus Christ. And there are also scripture verses underneath. So Jesus was fully man, but also fully God. He was a man just like us. He was hungry. He was tired. He was thirsty. But he was a humble man. He, he told you, know, I have nowhere else to lay my head. He came as a very simple and poor man. Not as a king, not as a rich man but as a simple, poor man. But at the same time, we see Jesus speak to the wind and to the sea. And they obey him. He rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea. So Jesus has power over nature. We saw Jesus exercise power over demons, power over sickness, power over death. He demonstrated power over even nature. In Colossians 1.15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven 
on, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the one who brought nature into existence. He can order nature. He can rebuke nature. And it obeys his command. So Jesus rebukes, and there was great calm. At Jesus' command, the great storm turned to a great calm immediately. So there is, it doesn't wave. It just immediately it was great calm. So Jesus showed his authority over nature. Who can order nature into properly, into its right place, except God? We see how God Almighty acts in the Old Testament. In Psalm 89, it says, You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Again, in Psalm 107, verse 29, he said, He made the storms still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. It's just as if Jesus is saying, Shh, and it was quiet. And God Almighty did that in the Old Testament. In, Psalm, in 2 Samuel and also in Psalm 18, these are the same songs. It reads, then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. Everything was quiet. So we would do well to humble ourselves, obey his commands in the midst of distress, in the midst of need and pain. So it's good that Jesus saved his disciples in this occasion. But not everything is rosy and perfect for the disciples. We know that the disciples later on suffered a cruel days. They were not saved. So never, Jesus never promised that everything will be perfect. But he is a man worthy of our obedience. For the forces of nature obey him, for they were brought into existence at his word, we too Obey him, for he created us in his image. If nature obeys him, we have to also obey him. What sort of man is Jesus? He's the man we obey. And lastly, what sort of man is Jesus? He is the man we worship. You remember, Matthew said, the man marveled. Matthew did not even call them disciples. Initially, he said they were his disciples come on board. But at the end, he kind of downgraded them from a disciple to a man, to a just man. Because the man marveled. You remember in the story of Jonah, after the sea was calm, what did the sailors do? They worshipped God. They sacrificed to God. They made a vow to God. What is our response to the work of Jesus? Is it just to marvel at him? Or to worship him, to trust him, and to commit ourselves to him. Many marvel at Jesus. They wonder at Jesus. They are amazed at Jesus. But what does Jesus demand from us this day? It is to obey him. It's not to be just marvel at him, but to obey him and to worship him, to surrender ourselves to him. 
So what sort of man is Jesus? That even the winds and the seas obey him. He is like no one else. He is unlike anyone we have ever known or we will ever know. Nature submits to his bidding. It obeys his command. What about you and I? Do we obey him? Do we worship him this day? God did not create a robot just like us. When we are created in his image with a free will, we have a choice to trust him, to obey him, or also reject him at our cost. The disciples thought they knew Jesus, but he's far more than they supposed. Sometimes, just like the disciples, we thought we knew Jesus because we go to the church, we read our Bibles, we fellowship with people, and we try to put Jesus into our mind box. But not, let's not allow our limited experience and knowledge of Jesus diminish the awesomeness of who he is. May we worship him. May we owe him. May we be consumed by him and worship him. The disciples followed Jesus, even though they did not fully know him, grasp him. Their faith was little. It was lacking. It was not fully developed. They were unprepared for what is coming. But in times of distress, in times of storm, their only hope is Jesus. Crying out to Jesus, praying to him is the right response. Save us, Jesus. Even when circumstances do not look promising, when we receive bad news, when tragedy strikes, we have to trust God. We have to trust God. Not only see that God cares. He, he deeply cares for us. Sometimes he may choose to save us. Sometimes he may allow us to pass through it so that we will become mature and his glory is revealed. Jesus demonstrated his power over nature to the relief and amazement of the disciples. What is our response? Our response should be more than to marvel at him. It's to submit to him. It's to worship him, to lay ourselves before him. So who is Jesus to you? Do you really know whom you are following? Do you believe that he came to save us and rescue us from the power of death and bring us to the Father? As disciples, our main task, our main responsibility is to follow him. There will be storms. We may feel like God has abandoned us, but he does care. Our responsibility is to anchor our faith on the testimony of who Jesus is, that he is fully God and that he's fully man, that he came to die for our sin and defeated death and gave us a new life in him. Let us not our little faith overcome by fear, but faithfully follow him until the end. So Jesus revealed his true identity only to his disciples. There were many crowds, but Jesus took them on the boat to this new place and revealed himself, his true identity. And we know that he gave them the great commission. He said, what you have seen, what you have witnessed, go and tell to others. Go and make disciples of the nations. So too, 
we as followers of Jesus carry out his mission to make disciples of the nations. We praise him and we worship him because we know who he really is. For he alone deserves our praise and worship. Amen? Let us pray. So indeed, our Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ to us, Lord. He came as a simple, poor man, just like us, Lord. He was born of a virgin. We thank you for the way he relates to us, for the way he identifies himself with us, Lord. Lord, we've seen how he orders nature and it obeys. Lord, may we obey, may we worship him, Lord. May we allow his, himself, his true identity to consume us, Lord. May we not limit who he is in our limited experience, but may we grow in knowing him and loving him and worship him. For his name's sake we pray. Amen.